Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you again. Amen. You may be seated. How, how many did you like those four words? You may be seated. I've been standing for 51 minutes. And all of you just said, he's my favorite preacher right now. Because he said, you may be seated. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Valls. You're awesome. Give it up for Seth Valls. Come on. <laughs> just want to embarrass him. Amen, amen, amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 16, and I'll just get right into the word tonight. I don't know if I'm going to scream or shout or spit or run. I, I might do all of those things and more. I might do some flips. We'll see. The first youth camp I preached was the Ohio Junior Youth Camp. And there is a, an infamous video of me doing a backflip off the platform. And I did not land it. Yeah. It wasn't during church, if you're wondering. It was after church. And they were announcing the judges for the talent show. And when they announced my name and everybody started chanting, Brother Green, Brother Green, my pride got the best of me. And I saw platform chanting equals backflip. The video guy who happened to be standing right there. And I had my suit on from the service. And I had my dress shoes on, and I went and stood on the edge of the platform. And when I pushed off, my dress shoes did not provide the traction I needed. And I landed on that concrete floor on my hip and my shoulder. Whew. But God. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. So that, that video has gone around. And there's been a couple of times that I've been at other youth camps. And they, they have seen that video. And there have been times where they have begun to chant, Brother Green. <laughs> and so I've been very cautious in my older age to not refrain from doing a backflip off the platform, but to make sure I'm wearing tennis shoes. And so I landed at the last Louisiana youth camp I was at and, and landed it and... Uh, I haven't done one since, so we, we, you, you never know what could happen with me. If people are falling asleep, I'll do anything to get you saved. Mark chapter 16, a familiar passage of Scripture, one that most of us would know or have heard. Some of us could even quote the last words recorded that Jesus spoke, recorded by the Gospel of Mark, in verse 15, he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink 
Any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The context of the believers is found in verse 15. The ones who will go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to talk to you on the subject tonight. You can't stop an apostolic church. You can't stop an apostolic church. Amen. I have been very encouraged by this congregation. Been very encouraged for the sake of the simple fact that you're not seemingly worried about the time. So that encourages me. I didn't get an amen, so maybe you are, but y'all aren't worried that I, on a Tuesday night, I'm up here an hour into the service. You're not worried about that. So awesome. Amen. I appreciate that. There's some churches that, that if they don't have the preacher up in the pulpit in 20 minutes, they're already checking their watches and wondering what in God's name is going on. Amen. So I appreciate that you're, you're not worried about the time. Neither am I, in case you're wondering. And I appreciate what our brother just said about not putting God in a box. Do you know how you put God in a box? By disconnecting yourself from his word. Do you know the first time that the people of God put him in a box? It's in Exodus chapter 20. When they said, we don't want to hear his voice or his word anymore. They said, Moses, you go up and you hear his voice. And then you tell us what he says. That's when God designed the tabernacle plan and put his word in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. It was never meant to be written on tablets of stone and placed in a box for one person to access one day a year. They put God in a box when they separated themselves from the word of God. And I am so thankful to be in an apostolic church that loves the word of God. You cannot stop an apostolic church. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's the foundation that we stand upon tonight. The foundation of apostles and prophets. With Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone cornerstone we call ourselves Christian we call ourselves Pentecostal we call ourselves apostolic what do some of these things mean what does it even mean to be apostolic what does it mean to be apostolic what does it mean that we are built upon the foundation of these apostles the first apostolic people, we are built upon the foundation of them. Are you apostolic? You ever, have you ever wondered that? Am I really apostolic? In Romans chapter 10, Paul speaks to the church in Rome in verse 13. And he says, 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sinned? Everybody say sent. It goes on and he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the questions are, how will they call on him if they don't believe in him? How will they believe in him if they have not heard of him? How will they hear of him without someone to preach to them? And how will a preacher go to them except they be sinned? Now, I'm not the first to bring this revelation maybe to you. Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. But the word here, to be sent, verse 15, how will they preach except they be sent? Did you know that the original word written in the original language is apostelos, which is where we get the phrase apostolic. To be apostolic is to be sent. Are you apostolic? Did you notice that everybody obeyed the preacher tonight when he said, You may be seated? <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that there is only one time that a church will experience 100% obedience, participation, without criticism. It's when someone says, you may be seated. You're laughing because you're guilty. It is the only time that there is 100% participation and obedience, submission and sacrifice, consecration. You may be seated. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not say you may be seated. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, he told his believers, as you go, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice what he says in verse 16. Behold, I sinned. You forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Here it is again. The word send in the original language is apostelos. Where we get the term apostolic. That we have labeled ourselves as a church, a body, and a congregation. And many of us, including myself, I have deemed myself apostolic without being sent. The truth of the matter is, is that we are Christian when we follow Christ. We are Pentecostals when we come to church. 
and receive the Pentecostal experience that they received on the day of Pentecost. Repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. This makes you a Pentecostal. How many of you are thankful to be a Pentecostal? But the truth of the matter is, is that you are not apostolic until you go to the world. You are Pentecostal when you come to church, but you are not apostolic until you are sent into the world. I want you to pick up on a couple of concepts through the words of Jesus. He says in Matthew 10 and 7, he says, as you go, the same word that he said before he ascended into heaven, recorded by the gospel of Mark, go ye into all the world. Isn't it amazing to you that he never said go to church? <laughs> and yet, in our Western religious philosophy, your relationship and your identity with Christ is founded upon your church attendance. Have you ever talked to somebody at work that found out you go to church every week? And then they find out you go to church twice a week? And then they find out you're having revival on Monday and Tuesday? They don't even know yet about you running around the church. They don't know yet about you speaking in other languages. They don't know yet about you eating somebody's flesh and drinking somebody's blood. They don't know yet about you doing cartwheels down the aisle. All they know is you go to church and they say, you're a radical Christian. You're a radical believer, you. You church member. You church attendee. And Jesus never said go to church. Yet we have reduced the identity of a Christian to someone's church attendance. Jesus never said go to church because he assumed not only would you go to church, yet you would be the church. I mean, that would be like saying go to human. I don't need to go to human. I am a human. That's my identity. I, I don't need to be told to go to church. I am the church. <laughs> I am the body of Christ. So he doesn't tell them to go to church. He says to the church, go to the world. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, you can disagree with me. It's Tuesday night. I still got another night to win you over. So this is the night I chose to allow you the opportunity to disagree with me. But I want you to notice in Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8, 
He says, as you go, preach. See, the word preach does not mean an ordained, licensed minister with a suit and tie standing behind a pulpit in front of a congregation. The word preach in the New Testament literally translates to the definition of a public proclamation of what you believe. So in that sense, everybody's a preacher. The question is, is the question is not, do you preach? The question is, what do you preach? We got people out in the world that have never gone to church. They're preachers too. Because they proclaim publicly what they believe and what they stand for. I think it's time for some Pentecostals to arise to the revelation that you are a preacher. The question... It's okay. You disagree. The question is, uh, what do you preach? That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, For it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You ain't even got to be a smart preacher. You can be a foolish preacher and save people that believe. But watch, he says, as you go, as if he assumed you would go. As you go, not if you go, as you go. Preach. Verse 8, watch the four miracles that follow the person that goes to the world preaching. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. You have received this for free. So I command you, give it for free. Notice the miracles. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. How many of you want to see the miracles of God in your life? Let's just see what page we're on. Step one, how many of you want to be saved? Go to heaven. All right, put your hands down. That's easy. That's first grade. How many of you, second grade, how many of you want to walk with God in this life? All right, let, let's graduate then. How many of you are not satisfied with just being saved? And I'm not even satisfied with just going to church and having a walk with God. I'm not belittling that. That's step one and step two. You can't have step three without step one and step two. But I'm, I'm ready for step three. And step three is I want to turn my world upside down. I want to be the devil's worst nightmare. I want to be used by the power that's inside of me. Can, can you just... Prophetically forgive me. Okay, just prophetically forgive me. I'm going to ask you for your forgiveness before you even know what to forgive me for. I'm going to be honest for a second, okay? There's some people, turn your neighbor and say, not here. Okay, now we're, now, we're, now we're safe, all right? There's some people that they're satisfied with where they are because they're not going back. There's some people that are satisfied with who they are today simply because they say, well, at least I'm not going back. But did you know that you don't have to go back to backslide? If you stay here and God is going forward, you're backsliding. Remember, that wasn't about you. That was about those other people. So You don't have to get quiet. 
There's some people that say, man, I love to stay in here. I got my assigned pew. Nobody better sit there. (laughs) There's some people that love to just maintain. We got a good church. We got a good this. We got a good that. And they're happy with just staying here. And they don't realize they're backsliding. Because God ain't here. He's moving forward. There are certain people that have maintained a steady church attendance. And all of a sudden look up 10 years later and say, man, I'm so far from God. But I've never left the pew. Why? Because God has been moving and you have not been moving with him. We're supposed to be a movement, not a monument. We are a movement. Why are are we a movement? Because we are following a moving God, an alive God. The only reason that you could ever excuse to be yourself a dead church is if you serve a dead God. But we don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that defeated death, hell, and the grave. Do y'all have any more here? Help me. Just turn it up till blood's coming out my ears. I need some help. Watch what he said. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. I want to see that. But he gave us the equation. Go! Preach! But the question is where? He fulfills That question answers that question in verse 16. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm holding back my power until you leave the church. (laughs) And you go into the world. Have you ever wondered, why don't we see more miracles in church? God said, because I'm waiting to show you the miracles out there. You cannot stop an apostolic. I'm going to jump around just for fun, okay, just to keep you on your toes. But you cannot stop an apostolic church. Do you know what the first attack against the first apostolic church was? Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He says, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses when you get my spirit. You can't have one without the other, lest you not have the real thing. Acts chapter 2, they get the real thing. About 3,000 people are added to the church. Acts chapter 3, they're headed to the synagogue to pray. They see the crippled man from birth lying there asking for money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. He took him by the hand, pulled him up, and he received strength in his legs. Then, for the first time in that man's life, he went into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. Then here come the traditional critics, the religious traditional critics, whose feathers had been flustered by somebody who sat in their seat. (laughs) His seat is outside by the gate beautiful. What's he doing sitting in my seat? Oh, well, he ain't sick no more. He ain't crippled no more. 
Because we brought the church to him. So now he can come to church. Wait a second. How many of you, how many of you, how many of you have ever been told no when you invited somebody to come to church? You know what you do when you find somebody that won't come to church? You bring the church to them. Man, this is too shallow. You know what you do when you find somebody that don't want to come give their lives to Jesus? You be Jesus in their life until they realize there's power in that church. This might be a long night. I can tell, man. We, we got to dig through some stuff here tonight. That's all right. Y'all don't mind about time. Thankful for that. And so here come the religious critics, and they said, man, what's going on here? And they arrest Peter and John. They arrest them. They beat them. They asked them the question, by what power or by what name have you done this miracle? We're not upset about the miracle. We're upset about the method of the miracle. Because we can't debate your demonstration. We can only debate your doctrine. Are y'all here tonight? See, the devil and no critic can debate the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. Or you, they can debate your oneness theology. They can debate everything that you want to talk about. But at some point, we got to stop talking and start doing. When they saw the miracle, they didn't say, hey, did, did this miracle really happen? They said, how did this miracle happen? Tell us by what power or by what name was this man made whole. And Peter, the Bible says, standing up being filled with the Holy Ghost, he began to tell them, do you remember that man, Jesus, that you crucified? He said, by him, by Jesus, does this man stand here before you whole? And by the way... And by the way, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. They looked at Peter and John and they said, they, they marveled at them. They, they took knowledge of them, scripture says. These unlearned and ignorant men. But they marveled at them for one reason. They had been with Jesus. I'm thankful for our standards. I'm thankful for our convictions. I'm thankful we got the best preaching. We got the best singing. We got the best everything. But they're not going to marvel at us because of my dress code. They're not going to marvel at us because I can preach real good. They're not going to marvel at us because we can sing the house down. They're going to marvel at you when you have spent time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They're going to marvel at you and say, I've never been around somebody that feels like that person feels. They're going to marvel at you when you take the time to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to be with Jesus? Woo. So, okay, I got to stop preaching and go back to talking. That preaching spirit hits me every day a little bit, you know, and Okay, so, so they didn't know what to do with them. So they said, well, let's confer amongst ourselves. And they had arrested Peter and John. 
And so scripture says, and this is the first attack against the apostolic church. In Acts 4.15, it says, when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Verse 17, here's the first attack. But that it spread no further. They didn't say, let's put a stop to the miracles. Let's put a stop to their gathering. Let's just keep it from spreading any further. So that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly or severely threaten them. Fear was the first spirit of attack against the apostolic church. Fear! Fear of what? Fear of believing in God? No. Fear of speaking in tongues? No. Fear of letting what happens in here get out there. So they, they will threaten them, they said, and will speak. We'll tell them to speak henceforth to no man in his name. See, again, they didn't say you can't believe in him. They said you can't speak to anybody else about this. That same spirit in Acts chapter 4 verse 17 is the same spirit that waits outside the door of this church. Every time you have church and you walk out, every time you go to the grocery store, you go to work, you go wherever you go. And that spirit of fear says, keep it at church. They won't believe. (laughs) So watch this. Verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak. Not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you all something, okay? Again, you can disagree. That's fine. The devil is not afraid of what happens in here. As long as it stays in here. The devil is not afraid of what happens in here as long as it stays in here. But the devil gets a taste of his own medicine called fear. When the people of God who lift their hands at church shod their feet with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel, and take this into what he thinks is his territory. I said what he thinks is his territory. He thinks Cincinnati is his city. Did you know he thinks that? He's dumb. He thinks this is my, you know why he thinks that? It's a numbers game. I got more sinners than you've got saints. I got more drug addicts than you've got delivered apostolics. I got more drug dealers than you got aisle runners. It's a numbers game. I'm winning, so it belongs to me. But there's one thing that he forgot. <laughs> Even if I'm the only believer in Cincinnati, when you put me next to Jesus and the two-thirds of angels, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. This ain't your territory. This ain't your city. This ain't your land. This belongs to God and the church of the living God. 
I wish I had a believer uh, that could really believe with me. Uh, this is our city. Uh, this is our neighborhood. Uh, this is our people. Uh, these are our souls. Uh, these belong to the waters of baptism. Uh, they will speak in tongues. Uh, he will pour out his spirit. Uh, they won't be lost for long. Uh, there's coming a great. Uh, there's coming a great getting up morning. Uh, weeping may endure for a night, uh, but joy comes in the morning. You cannot stop an apostolic church. They tried. Turn to your neighbor and say, they tried. They said, do not let this spread any further. We command you, verse 18, to not speak anymore or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, you judge. He said, if you think that it's better to obey you, the spirit of fear, than to obey God, you go ahead and make that judgment call yourself. Man, I just feel a pause right now. Because there's somebody in this room that's got to make up your mind right now. Who are you going to listen to? Am I going to let the spirit of fear rob me one more day? One more second? Or am I going to step out of my box, out of my comfort, out of my complacency, and say, get behind me, Satan? Verse 20, he said, you judge. But verse 20, he said, this is what I judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, we cannot stop speaking. We cannot stop preaching. We cannot stop shouting. We cannot stop rejoicing. We cannot stop testifying. We cannot stop telling some. I wish there was a cannot stop spirit that would rise up in some Pentecostal tonight to a place of determination where you said, I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop praying. I can't stop shouting. I can't stop telling. I got to tell it all when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me. I got to shout. I got to tell. I got to... Someone, one, one of you guys, preachers, I don't remember who it was. They, say, they got up here and said something about Acts 4 and praying until the place was shaken. You, know, you want to know what caused the building to shake? It was when people went from being Christian to apostolic and said, devil, we ain't going to stop. 
they told them in verse 20, we can't stop speaking the things we have seen and heard. But there's some others, not here, that is just out there. There's some people that can't start speaking the things they have seen and heard. But these apostolics said we can't stop. That's why in verse 24, in between 20 and 24, they had told the church. They came and they gathered the church probably on a Tuesday night just like this. And they said, we got an emergency. We got to have a business meeting. And they told them they have arrested us. Look, I've got bruises. i got a black eye. They have beaten us. And now they said, if we keep on doing it, they're going to kill us. They're going to arrest us. They're going to divide us and persecute us. But we told them, we're not going to stop. Because Jesus said, go. And so, when the church heard this, they, unanimous, 100% participation, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art good. Which has made, put up verse 24, hurry. Verse 24, you are good. Which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. In other words, they declared. Before they asked God for anything, they declared. They made a declaration. God, you're in charge. Not Satan. Not the spirit of fear, not these traditional critics, not these accusers, not these that have threatened us. You're in charge. Verse 29, you got it? So they said, now, Lord, behold their threatenings. They didn't deny the opposition. They didn't act like it wasn't there. They said, it's there. Here's the obstacle. So grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may keep on speaking your word. They didn't even pray for protection. They did not even pray for protection or provision. They just said, God, give them more boldness to keep on speaking your word. Verse 30, by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And watch the spirit that began to move in that congregation. So we know they all just received the Holy Ghost because they made up their mind, I ain't staying here. So God said, good. Well, if you're not going to stay here, then you need something. That's why we can have dead church because God said, I'm waiting for you to get up and go. You keep sitting here for decade after decade. I don't have to move on you. I'm looking for somebody that will say, give me boldness to go. And so he says, good, here you go. And watch what happened to the church. Now, i got to just make an application because I understand the context. You know, tree of life, grace point. I've never been in a situation like this, and probably neither have you. And so in this church, they had not had an established church of 53 years. 
where everybody had their assigned seat. They had their assigned singers and preachers and ushers. They had just started their apostolic church. It was people from all over Jerusalem. It was more than just two groups of people coming together. It was all sorts of people coming together. And when they said, give us boldness that we'll keep on going, watch what God did. This is what God did. And the multitude of them, verse 32, get it up here for me. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Now, I don't know. How long y'all going to have to have church like this? But the only way we're going to get God to move like he did in the book of Acts chapter 4 is when we say, this ain't my church. When we can say, this ain't my pew. When we can say, hey, 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 he's taking my job. I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be singing that. I'm supposed to be leading here. I'm supposed to be ministering here. And we have all things common. And we relinquish control and say, this ain't mine. This is his. <laughs> Watch what happens when that happens. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles. God gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked For as many as were possessors of lands or houses Sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold And laid them down at the apostles' feet And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need Verse 36 And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas Which is being interpreted the son of consolation A Levite and of the country of Cyprus Having land, he sold it And brought the money and laid it where? At the apostles' feet That's why Paul said Said, how beautiful are the feet of the apostles, those who are sent. Verse 15. Watch, oh, excuse me. Ver, let me read verse 37 again. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Y'all sit down for a second. Y'all making me nervous. You cannot stop an apostolic church. Now, Y'all disagree with this? Here's another one. You disagree. You can stop a Pentecostal church. I've been there. I've been to churches, Pente Pentecostal churches. That, well, they, they, they say they're Pentecostal, and they ain't moving anywhere. It's dead. It's dry. It's dull. It's boring. You go there and take a nap. You can stop a Pentecostal church. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just talking, okay? I'm just talking. I'm just saying, many of us already know, I see a few head nods. For those of you that have been around a little bit, my wife and I, I we've been married seven, a little over seven years. I've been evangelizing nine years full time. That doesn't give me any credibility. I'm not saying anything like that. But we have traveled to 28 different countries in the UPC. And I've seen there are certain Pentecostal churches. And I'm not trying to disparage anybody. I'm just giving you the reality. There are certain Pentecostal churches that... And they, they hadn't seen people get the Holy Ghost. They hadn't seen anybody speak in tongues in years. You can stop a Pentecostal church because a Pentecostal church can start vying for position. <laughs> well, I, I want to be singing. I want to be preaching. I want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. Pentecostal churches would rather have the position than to be positioned sometimes. But you can't stop an apostolic church 
Because an apostolic church empowers the identity of a Pentecostal. See, see, you're Pentecostal when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But there's a lot of people that receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And like pulp and an orange juice, that, that Holy Ghost just sits at the bottom. Undisturbed. Lying dormant. It's just there. They know how to, they know how to speak the, the, the lingo and do the tradition and ritual and routine. But it's that apostolic fire that says, we're going to stir this thing up. And we're going to take what we have received and activate it and go forward. So let me just be transparent for a little bit. I could have stopped this a few minutes ago, but, but we're just going to talk for a little bit for a second. Okay. I, I, full-time evangelism. As of last month, I've been full-time evangelizing for nine years. Okay. And for most of those years, for most of that time, my goal, I thought, in order to be successful, I've got to preach at certain churches. And I got to be invited to certain conferences. And I got to be invited to certain conventions. And if I get to that place, then I'll be successful. And my success is determined by how many Pentecostals I preach to. And it's dawned on me in 2020. Sorry, we're not supposed to say 2020 anymore. I'm sorry. That's why we don't say hindsight 2020 anymore, right? We don't say that anymore. Hindsight 2019, let's, let's just be in agreement, okay? We'll say that from now on. But in 2020, my wife and I, she's, she's from Portland, Oregon, and, and we decided to go up to Portland, Oregon. It's like an eight-hour story. I'll tell it in seven, I promise. And we go to Portland, Oregon, and the Lord begins to deal with me because my schedule of preaching and churches and conferences and camps and whatever just evaporated because of the shutdown and everything that went on. The first thing the Lord did was he, he had me recognize what my motives were of pursuing him. My motives to pursue God in prayer was for my ministry. And there's not anything wrong with that as long as it's not the foundation of your motivation. I was always praying, God, bless this revival, bless this conference, bless this place. Instead of just saying, God, I love you. With or without a ministry, I love you. He revealed that to me. Then the Lord spoke to me and said, if you'll seek me early. This is such a long story. I'm going to tell it in so fast you hardly know what I said. God said, if you'll seek, seek me early, I'll tell you my secrets for your ministry. I said, okay. So in April, I started seeking God early. And I sought God for 40 straight days at about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And I'd drive up this mountain just across the street from the church in, in Portland, and I'd drive up this mountain every morning an hour or two before sunrise and I'd pray and I'd seek God. And it went from an hour to two to three to four to five hours every morning. I would just seek God and I'd pray and I'd fast and I'd, I would seek the direction of God. And, and God didn't tell me exactly what I was supposed to do in those 40 days. Those 40 days ended at the first week of June, somewhere around that time. And uh, I remember it was, it was the end of July that my wife and I, we went through a chaotic experience and and we thought we were supposed to leave Oregon. And so we have a truck and an RV trailer that sits. It's been sitting in Oregon for like five years. You know, we, there's no way we can use it. Because, you know, we're, I'm in Ohio this week. And on Friday I go to Virginia. And then on Sunday I go to Florida. And there's just no way. Brother Enos knows what we, we're talking about. There's just no way, you know, we could drive all them miles with a truck and RV. It's just impossible. Getting seven miles a gallon, you know. It's just impossible. So... 
So, but we hadn't moved the truck and RV in all these years, you know, and we use it when we're there in Oregon. And so we had said, hey, we're going to use our truck and RV. We're going to go and we're just going to have fun. We're going to, you know, take it somewhere or whatever. And we left Oregon. And when we left Oregon, the moment we got out of Oregon, we had four blowout tires in 36 hours. I mean, it was like all Hades was breaking loose until we realized it wasn't hell. It was heaven. We got as far as Phoenix, Arizona. That's halfway between Portland and Austin, where I'm from. We got halfway after about five days of driving and, and nearly backsliding. <laughs> and we, we, get, we get our fit. We bought five brand new tires in the city of Goodyear, Arizona. God has a sense of humor. Well, I listen to God. I bought Goodyear tires. Literally. Am I telling the truth? We were stuck in Goodyear, Arizona. It's a suburb of Phoenix. So I went to a discount tire, and I, I said, give me them Goodyear tires. God's telling me something. I had one of my tires blow up in the parking lot of the discount tire. While the car was, truck was parked, turned off. And I was walking out to have the manager inspect the tire to see if I needed to change it. But we didn't have to inspect it. As we're walking out, we just heard a kaboom. Everybody hit the deck. It was that tire blowing up. Got five new tires. We're about to, we get some lunch. We're about to get on the road. And my spiritual wife, she says, maybe we should pray about this. Everything that's going wrong is going wrong. And then some. We've sat on the side of I-10 all night long. The speed limit was 80 miles an hour. We were on the side waiting for somebody to come jack up our trailer and change one of the tires. Sitting on the side of the road, the interstate with uh, big rigs going 85 miles an hour within 10 feet away from us. Just thinking at any point they're going to smash right into us. I mean, everything was going wrong. We begin to pray and God just says, stay here for a night. So we stay there. We get a little RV park. We stay there. Next morning we wake up. I'm fasting. I'm praying. And the Lord just simply says, you left when I told you not to leave. Go back to Oregon. And see, I allowed my schedule to lead me instead of the spirit to lead me. I, 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 would, I would venture to say that most of us are schedule-led and not spirit-led. And my schedule said, go to Texas, then go to here, and go to Florida, and go to here, go to here. To give you, and the spirit said, don't leave. But my schedule... God said, go back to Oregon. So I had to make phone calls. I had to cancel. We didn't have the money to get back. We had spent all our money getting halfway to Austin. <laughs> How am I going to get back? And what are we going to do when we get there? I don't have any revivals booked. I'm going to have to cancel all of my revivals that are now opening in the second half of 2020. And what am I going to do? You know, and God says, go back to Oregon. There's revival in Oregon. A preacher that many of you would know, he calls me that day, not knowing where we were, what we were doing. He says, he says, hey, Chris, I was just in prayer for you, and the Lord showed me that you've left a place, but now you're turning back to go back to that place, and it was a test, and you just passed the test. And when you get there, you're going to see great revival. I'm just like, wow. Oh, wait, don't clap yet. It's not a good story yet. So we get all the way back to Oregon, and, man, I called the superintendent. He was here. He was here Sunday. I called Brother Gray. I said, man, we're going to have some revival in Oregon. We're going to save that whole state, starting with the governor. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to say that. Forget I take that off the recording. <laughs> we're going to save everybody in Oregon. I mean, when you have a traumatic divine intervention like this, you know something crazy is about to happen. We get back to Oregon. I've got revivals booked. I mean, in a few hours, I had revivals booked all over Oregon. We get to the first revival. 
I preach on the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm literally waiting for Michael and Gabriel to walk in with swords and just laying their sword on people. And all of a sudden, they just start floating up in the air. And people are turning around in the air, speaking into. I'm waiting for some crazy stuff. It was like one of the worst services I've ever been to in my life. It was so bad, I went to the altar after I preached. I went down to the altar, and I'm just crying out, Dear God, you just turned us around. What is going on? I prayed so long, I got tired. I sat on the front pew, and I'm just weeping and sobbing and crying. I was like, God, what is going on? You told me. You said go back. Here I am. You told me that if I would come back here, there would be revival here. And God said, I did. But I didn't bring you back to see revival in the church. He said, the revival is waiting for you out there. These people are already saved. They're already persuaded. What else do I have to do for them? Look, there's a million people out there that have never heard this word. Well, now I'm nervous because I've been preaching full time nine years from platform to platform to platform to platform. And my feet have never seen the field. And I've allowed people to pat me on the back and say, good job preaching to Pentecostals that are already saved. Instead of doing what God has told me to do, to hear him say, well done. See, there is, there is a divisive weapon within our souls tonight that would rather hear our peers say, good job, than to hear God say, well done. So I almost went AWOL, apostolic AWOL. I almost canceled everything. I did cancel a lot. I canceled some conferences that I've always wanted to preach. I canceled some meetings and things. And, and then somebody got a hold of me and said, no, 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 don't cancel all this stuff. Go tell them what God's told you. Whew. My wife and I were thinking, what are we supposed to do? And I prayed. And remember, the Lord told me, I'll show you my secrets of what I want you to do if you'll seek me early for these 40 days. So here's now. We're in August. And I go to the church at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I lay down at the altar. I, you know, I've got my little formula of prayer and what I'm going to do for the next couple hours. And I said, scratch that schedule. Scratch the formula. I need to get a hold of God right now. I went right up to the altar, 5 a.m. I didn't do any repentance. I didn't do any praise. I didn't do any worshiping. I just went right up to the altar and said, God, what do you want me to do? And for the next hour, I saw a vision. <sighs> Seen a vision of God. The Lord showed my feet going out into the harvest. He said, I want to show you what's waiting for you out there. I want to show you the treasure in the field. I didn't know what to do. Especially if you've seen any news. I mentioned it on Sunday. We're here in Portland, Oregon. The, the, the murder rate is now up 1,600%. And all the people I know, we're all hunkering down, hiding out. We're just trying to get through this thing. And God says, go out to the field. I'm thinking, go out to the field? You'll kill me. Okay. Did you know that Jesus said your, oppor your, your greatest opportunity would be, would be your greatest opposition? Jesus said that. Jesus said that your persecution would be your greatest opportunity. 
Did you know that? He said it in Matthew 10. When he told them, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He says, behold, I send, I apostelos, I apostolic you. I send you forth as sheep, where? In the midst of wolves. First of all, that is a field of persecution. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Then he tells them, if you got it, in Matthew chapter 10, he says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Watch what he says. He says in verse 17, beware of men. They will deliver you. That's not a good deliver. That means to arrest. They will arrest you. They will bring you out up to the councils. They will scourge you in the synagogues. And this is being sent. This is being apostolic. He says, yeah, they're going to scourge you in the synagogues. And you shall be brought before who? Governors and kings for my sake. In the King James, it says, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But in a modern translation, it says, when you are arrested and you are scourged and you're brought before the governors and kings, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Wait, watch this. Man, I'm going to kill the whole service right here and I'm happy about it. I don't care. He says... How else could you tell the governors and kings about me when they wouldn't come to the hillside to my Bible studies? I had to let you become their victim. Hey, I had to let you become their victim in order to give you an audience with them. Okay, y'all got sidetracked by me almost falling here. In order for you to get an audience with a governor and king, I had to let you become their victim. Did you see it? When you become their victim of persecution, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Is that not crazy? That's why you're quiet right now. You, you never heard this. It's Jesus. Your opportunity. Oh, man. See, there's some people that you'll never have an audience with unless you become their victim. Unless you let them walk all over you at work. Go ahead, walk all over me. That's why Jesus said if someone punches you in the face, turn the cheek, turn the other side. Because that might be your one opportunity. The greatest example of this is who? Jesus. He said, I got to go to the cross. Peter said, nah, -uh, you ain't going to no cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to look at things through the eyes of the flesh. Watch this. He gets hung on a cross. Talk about persecution. See, but Jesus sees an opportunity. While he's hanging on a cross, man, I, I don't know if I could testify to somebody if I got a hang nail. And he's got nails hanging him. And he turns to the side and tells a thief, I'll remember you. Because today you'll be with me in paradise. Even though I didn't see you on the hillside of Galilee. Even though you weren't there when I fed the 5,000. Even though you weren't there when I taught the people. Even though you weren't there the last three years, you wouldn't come to church. So I've come to you. Then he looks down at a Roman soldier who has nailed him to the cross. Has beaten him. And the Bible says he starts praying for this guy. Father! Forgive him. 
Forgive him because he didn't come to church the last three and a half years to hear me teach. And this is my only opportunity with him. And I've only got but 38 seconds to go before I breathe my last breath. So let me take this opportunity and pray for this man. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. If you read the scripture closely, one of the gospel records that that Roman soldier received the revelation of who he was. Consider the apostle Paul. Who writes to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, I really want to come back and preach to you. We're going to have a long revival. I'm going to stay for a long time. He says, but I'm here in Ephesus right now. He says, I'm fighting the wild beasts of Ephesus. He ain't talking about lions, tigers, and bears. He's talking about the people there. He said, I'm facing my death every day trying to plant a church in Ephesus. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Jump to the next chapter and he says, I really want to come see you guys in Corinth. But I have to tarry here until Pentecost. I have to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Were you all at General Conference? Brother Bernard preached my sermon. He ought to give me some of that offering. He preached my sermon. I've been preaching this. He said, I have to stay in Ephesus. What's Ephesus? The place he's trying to tell people about Jesus while they're trying to kill him every day. He's got a mega church in Corinth by this time. He says, man, I want to come to Corinth, but I got to stay here. Why? He says, because there's a wide open door of a great work here, even though many people oppose me. See, you can't stop an apostolic church. Because apostolics aren't afraid of the opposition. Apostolics can see the opportunity disguised by opposition. Watch this. Uh, is it? We need to dismiss? Pick up tomorrow? Okay. Watch this. Paul's praying. Him and Silas are praying. Where do we go? We want to go to Asia. Nope. Can't go get egg rolls in Asia. Sorry. Spirit says, you can't go there. He says, fine. We want to go to Bithynia. Holy Ghost says, nope. Can't go to Bithynia. Sorry. Well, where do we go then? Watch this. Watch. The Holy Ghost tells Paul, go to Macedonia. So he wakes up and says, Silas, get up. We got to go to Macedonia. They start heading to Macedonia, and the Spirit leads them to the town of Philippi. <laughs> what happens in Philippi? I'll tell you what happened in Philippi. They found a little Bible study, a little prayer group going on, and they start converting people family by family by family. And next thing you know, here comes a demon-possessed lady following them every single day to the prayer meeting, uh, disturbing them, distracting them. Uh, and these evil men uh, are gaining money. Uh, they're making money off of this demon-possessed lady. And Paul gets so aggravated after weeks of this demon-possessed lady, he turns around and says, devil, get out of her. The devil gets out of her, and now these evil men can't make money off of her anymore. So what do they do? Watch this. They arrest Paul and Silas. They arrest Paul and Silas, and the Bible says that they were severely beaten with rods. Man, I want to be apostolic. I want to be spirit-led. It might lead me to a rod beaten. Watch this now. After getting beaten by rods, they throw them in jail. 
Let me ask y'all something. Whose fault was this? Don't be shy. It's God. Did God not know that by sending them to Philippi that they were going to be beaten with rods, arrested, and thrown into the inner dungeon? Did God not know that? Or did God have a, have a bigger plan? Uh, he said, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry, Silas. Take upon you these stripes for just a moment. Because in the same way that my stripes have provided the opportunity for salvation, your stripes are going to bring the revelation of my name. They get beaten with rods, thrown into the inner dungeon. They fasten their feet with stocks, their hands with chains. But at midnight, they had broken ribs. They had messed up hip bones. They had black eyes. They had gashes in their head. They should have been knocked out or at least asleep. But at midnight, the Bible says, they were praying and singing hymns. And here's the key. And it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And the prisoner. You, I think you missed it because prisoners don't listen to nothing. That's why they're in prison. But there was something different about these two apostolic men who came in looking like they had been sent through a meat grinder. And at midnight, they said, I can't stop speaking. I can't stop singing. I can't stop testifying. I got to tell somebody when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that is done for me, if I can just rattle a chain, if I can just shake a shackle, I may not be able to sing on key, but I can sing on time I can tell somebody <laughs> the Bible says that as the prisoners were listening to them pray and sing hymns at midnight there was an earthquake watch this so that everyone's chains were loosed and every prison. Keep on going. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on telling. The scripture says that the jailer asked Paul, what do I need to do to be saved? He took them to his home where he mended their wounds and tended to their scars that he had put on them. I'm sorry, I beat you, but let me help you with this. Because you have the truth. Tell me and my family. Scripture says that he ended up converting that whole household. He saved the whole family. Why? Because Paul understood one thing. You can't stop an apostolic church. All right. I've gone long enough. Y'all stand to your feet. So here I am in Oregon. I could, trust me, I could preach about four more hours. But here I am. My wife and I, we're over in Portland, Oregon. Give me some help, Brother Seth, when you get a chance. I need the help tonight. Amen. We're over in Portland, Oregon. The Lord says, I want you to go out. Where are we going to go? There's bombs, there's riots, there's murders everywhere. There's chaos going on. The Lord tells us, you've got to go out there. And I'm sitting there. For days, wondering, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Not realizing that Jesus said in Matthew 10, as you go and as you preach, he says, you won't have to worry about what or how you will speak. 
He says, my spirit will take care of it. So we're sitting there, I am, just twiddling my thumbs, wondering, how are we going to do this? How are we going to reach people who don't want to be reached? How do we reach people that are seemingly unreachable? And somebody sends me a video of this guy, this charismatic dude from, Florida, from California. He's been doing these worship concerts outside all over the nation. And in the midst of the, the shutdown in California where people are getting arrested for going to the beach by themselves, he goes out to the beach of California and hosts a, a worship service for about 10,000 people. And in the video, this man who hasn't, at least, I, 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 okay, I'm not going to judge who this is. I don't know all his truth, but I just know, I know that he doesn't profess the truth that we proclaim, okay? We, we assume that we have the truth, do we not? We have the abundance of truth. We've got the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We've got it. And here comes a guy that we would assume, man, there's no, I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm just saying he hasn't been shown the way more perfectly yet. I believe he's getting close. I've seen some things about this guy where he went from baptizing people in the titles of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And he's seen the UPC people baptized in Jesus' name. And now this charismatic guy that's got hundreds of thousands of followers. He changed his baptismal formula to, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and in Jesus' name and in the Holy Ghost. I thought, man, he's getting closer. <laughs> he's down there in California having a church service during the shutdown where they're risking their lives of being arrested. And we're all hiding out in bunkers and, and basements and wondering, man, what's going to happen? Then he says, tomorrow I'm going to Portland. He says, because there's hunger there. And all, all the people I know, we ain't risking our fingernails to get out there. We ain't risking anything to go out there. And here comes this guy that doesn't have the full truth. He's coming to Portland. I believe it's possible that God will call somebody that may not even have the full truth to do what you have not done. That's what happened to me. So I go down there with my brother-in-law. We don't know what to expect. They held an outdoor worship service right in the middle of downtown Portland where all the riots, the chaos, it's still going on right now. Where all the riots and chaos are going on. My brother-in-law and I, we went down there to just see. I said, man, I'm so convicted. I said, if this guy's doing something and God's blessing it, I got to see what he's doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm about to do something. You know, I got to... All I know how to do is to stand behind a pulpit and preach to save people. I want to know how to talk to, to prostitutes on the well and those who are leprous, the untouchable. I want to know how to talk to the drug addicts and reach the lost. And So I want to see what this guy's doing. And I went down there. And it was amazing when I got down there. There was I have videos and pictures of it. I posted on my Facebook. There was thousands of people down there worshiping God. Worshiping God. Now, you can judge me for this, but I saw it with my own eyes. I'm watching all these people worship the name of Jesus. And as I'm looking around, I'm seeing God fill people with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And then, watch this. And then they start marching people down to the, to the river there. This is ice cold river. Right down, right, right from where they were, they start marching people down. They said, we're going to baptize you tonight. 
they, were, they had so many people that wanted to be baptized, they were getting baptized five at a time. In a city like Portland, they were getting baptized five at a time. I couldn't tell you how many people were getting baptized. The first thing that happened, I said, God, what are you doing? How could you, how, how, how could you bless this when he doesn't even have the full truth? And the Lord spoke to me and said, I blessed him because he's doing more with two pennies than what you're doing with the abundance of my word. He's doing more with two pennies than what you're doing with the abundance of my word. I thought of the parable of that lady who had two mites, two coins. And Jesus said she gave more than anyone else. Why? Because she gave all. I said, God, how? The Lord said, I brought you here so that you could see that there is hunger in this city. I wanted you to see that there's people reaching. You've got to stop praying for the revival and realize the revival's waiting for you. You've got to stop asking me to send you the revival when I tried to send you to the revival. You've got to stop saying the revival is coming when I've tried to preach the church is going. Then something crazy happened. The Antifa group showed up with their megaphones and their poster boards. They walked right in to this crusade that was going on. I'm talking a whole host of them with megaphones and posters and they're shouting and they're trying to walk through everybody and sabotage the whole thing. There's videos on the news of this, of, of this happening this year, they, they did another worship service just a few uh, a month or two ago, and they showed up again, and they, they picked up the sound equipment and threw it into the river, trying to sabotage the move of God. Now, when I was there last year, they showed up with just megaphones, and they were shouting as loud as they could. They were cursing. They were shouting. They were trying to distract people, and I'm watching them, and I could not hear one sound that was coming out of their mouth. The sound of the people worshiping was so loud that you could not hear the sound of criticism coming from that group. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't have to focus on Satan as much as you think you have to. You don't have to focus on his, on his spirit of distraction and division, on his weapon of interference as much as you think you have to. If you would focus enough on me, you wouldn't even hear him. If you would rejoice in me enough, you wouldn't even hear him. If you would worship me loud enough, you wouldn't even hear him. If you would praise me enough, you wouldn't even hear him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So my wife and I, we did the best we could. We didn't know what to do. We started going to skate parks and parks. And we started passing out Gatorades and Rice Krispie Treats and telling people about Jesus. In just a matter of two weeks, we had over 20 people give me their phone number. We had 20 contacts. Young people, teenagers coming up to me and saying, I've been waiting for somebody to come. I'm depressed. My family's broken. I don't know who to talk to. I need somebody to pray with. We went to Florida and we launched a new ministry called Harvest in Motion. Harvest in Motion. The harvest is God's, but the motion is ours. 
We've got to be in movement. We are a movement. We've got to go if we're going to see the harvest that God has called us to see. We launched Harvest in Motion after we buried our little girl. We went to Florida and launched Harvest in Motion in Palm Bay, Florida. And in, in just a matter of 10 weeks, we saw nearly 60 people filled with the Holy Ghost. In one service on a football field, we saw 46 people receive the Holy Ghost. I've got the video of a crippled man bring, being brought up to the altar. And young people, teenagers, praying for the crippled man, 65 years old. All of a sudden, they picked him up out of the wheelchair, and he started walking for the first time in over 20 years, and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We spent three months with the District of South Dakota launching Harvest in Motion in every church, training them, teaching them, giving them the tools. This is how we are apostolic. This is how we go to the lost and dying. This is how we go to the world. This is how we see the miracle signs and wonders. And there was a church of 35 people, 35 in Aberdeen, South Dakota, that after doing the training and after getting the tools of being apostolic, a church that had been there for over 50 years, 35 people in 50 years, they started going out into the community, going out into the streets, going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And in less than two weeks, this church of 35 people had acquired 35 new Bible studies. I'm not talking about 35 visitors, which is great. 35 new Bible a church of this size, if you got 35 new Bible studies in two weeks, that would be a crazy testimony. But this was a church of 35 people that hadn't seen revival since they began. They got 35 new Bible studies. They didn't know what to do. Not everybody was equipped to teach a Bible study. We only have 35 people. How are we going to teach 35 new people and families a Bible study? God will take care of it. The following Sunday after we left, they had 17 first-time visitors. Their Sunday school attendance went from 5 to 16. They filled up their bus that hadn't been used in months. They filled up their church bus and have to buy a new church bus. This is what happens when a church says, you can't stop an apostolic church. We're going to go and do what God has called us to do. I've talked to you for too long. If you need to be dismissed, you're dismissed. But I wonder if there's anybody that has felt stirred in the word of God and the spirit of God tonight. Saying, God, I'm tired of just going to church. We have a great church. We have an amazing church. You could venture to say this is the best church. We are an apostolic church. We are full of the Holy Ghost. But God... I'm tired of just going to church. I'm tired of just sitting on the pew. I'm tired of just having church. I'm tired. Is there anybody in your spirit that you feel, that you have felt over the last several months or even years, there's something more for me? How many of you have felt that? There's something more for me. God has sent me to tell you 
what that more is. God is ready for you. God is ready to pour out his spirit of anointing and power upon you when you are ready to say, God, I want to be apostolic. I want to be sent as a sheep in the midst of wolves. God, I want to turn my city upside down. God, I want to see the sick healed, the lepers cleansed, the dead raised. I want to see people that are full of addiction and demons to be filled with your spirit. God, I want to be used to lay my hands on the sick. I want to be used as an apostolic vessel of your spirit, of your power, and of your truth. You're dismissed. But for those of you that want to pray for just a moment, come to this altar and just stir up the Holy Ghost inside of you. Let the Holy Ghost minister to you for just a moment before you leave. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I want to be apostolic. I want to be sent as a sheep in the midst of wolves. I want to see the miracles that you have promised. God, I'm tired of just attending. I'm tired of just being a member. I want to be the church. I want to be apostolic. I want to see what you have said I can see. I want to fulfill what you have called me to fulfill. I want to do what I was born to do in the name of Jesus Christ.
Lord for just a moment. I want you to listen. As your hands are lifted, your hands are open to the Lord. I don't have time to teach this, but I'm just going to speak it. There is a specific anointing of the Holy Ghost that can only be activated, that can only be poured into when you pour out of yourself. The widow whose husband had died, the prophet said, if you will pour out of what oil you have left, the oil of God, the anointing of God will begin to flow in. I have learned that there is a specific anointing that flows into me as I'm pouring out into others, as I'm praying for others, as I'm interceding for others, as I'm reaching for others. That anointing some of you have never experienced before and others have not experienced in a long time. The Lord wants you to experience it right now. As your eyes are closed, what I want you to do is I want you to envision somebody that you are reaching for. Maybe envision a family, envision a loved one, envision somebody that's backslidden, somebody that's never received this truth. And you're standing in place of them tonight. You're going to begin to pour out of your spirit for them as if they were dying tonight, as if they were drowning, as if they were losing their soul tonight. And as you begin to pour out, of the, pour out yourself for them, God's anointing is going to flow into you. A very unique anointing is going to flow into you. An anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. An anointing that brings faith and unity into your soul. Right now, I want you to begin to pour out of yourself for that person, for that family, for that individual in the Holy Ghost. As you pour out, open up your vessel and receive the anointing of God. Let His anointing flow into you.